does God punish us? So a quick look in the Torah makes it clear that God rewards us for the good that we do and punishes us from the, for the bad that we do. The Torah many, many times goes to great length, particularly in this week's Parsha where the Torah goes for pages, it goes through 60 verses or so, describing the good that will happen if we follow God's commandments and all the punishments that will happen if we do not follow God's commandments. Speaks of illness, we will get sick, famine, lose our children or family problems, um, war, exile, be exiled from the land, all sorts of, and gets very graphic in some places in the Torah, all the terrible things that will happen if we fail to follow God's commandments. If we open the books of our prophets, we see time and again the book of Judges describes in great detail how every time we failed to follow God, we were punished in various ways. The books of our later prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, some of the other prophets describe in great detail all the things that will happen if we, the good things that will happen if we follow God's commandments and all the terrible things that will happen if we fail to follow God's commandments, we transgress God's commandments, all of the bad things that will happen. The prophets continue to warn the people to change their ways because if they don't, there will be war, there will be famine, they will be severely punished. And there are many descriptions in Scripture of times that people did not follow God and they indeed were punished. So it is clear that Judaism believes that God both rewards people for doing good and punishes people for doing bad. A quick look at the Torah, at the rest of our scriptures, makes it very clear that God does punish us when we do bad. So sometimes people look into the Torah and the books of our prophets, and see the various punishments described in great, sometimes graphic detail, in the Torah and the books of our prophets, and get the impression of God as a vengeful God. Now, to be clear, we believe that God is infinite. God is our creator. God is not human in any way. And it would be wrong to ascribe human emotion just like it would be wrong to describe any other human detail to God, it would be wrong to describe human emotion to God. God created human emotion. God doesn't have emotions the way we do. And when the Torah describes God getting angry, or God being happy, or God being merciful, it is clear that just as when the Torah describes the hand of God, or the chair of God, it is a metaphor. It is not meant to be understood that God actually has those emotions, just as it's not meant to be understood that God has hands, or that God sees with his eyes, or hears with his ears. Rather, they are all understood as met metaphoric. The exact meaning of those metaphors are subject for a, another time for a different discussion. But it is clear, and perhaps we could add that as a future topic, why God is referred to in metaphor. But it is clear that God does not have emotion. God does not act angry. God does not act out of spite in the same way humans would. Somebody upsets you, people get angry, 
people get upset, they hit them back, they hurt them back. God doesn't do that. God doesn't feel that in the same way. So we definitely cannot describe our emotions to God and a sense of anger or feeling to God the way we would describe normally for humans. Furthermore, it is clear that not only does God not feel vengefulness, God doesn't even act in a way of vengefulness. The Torah speaks many times, and the prophets speak many times, of God's great care for humanity, to use a metaphor, and God's great love for humanity, who are his children and created in his image. And this is expressed many, many times in the Torah, in scriptures, that um, we see God's love for people in general, cares for them, gives us everything that we need, particularly expresses the love for his chosen people, as we see in our exodus, the exodus from Egypt. We see from the fact that he chose us his people and gave us the Torah, led us through the desert, gave us the promised land, and really from the very fact that we've survived all these years itself is evidence of God's love and care for us. So while it does describe punishments in the Torah and in other books of our holy scriptures, However, it is clear that each of those times that the Torah describes them as punishments, it is because we were deserving of those punishments. And even then we are told in the Torah that God is slow to anger, again to use a metaphor, um, and quick to forgive. And he gives us many, many chances to change change our ways and improve before punishing us. He only punishes us as the very, very last resort. So we should definitely not think of God in a sense of vengefulness. Um, If anything, we should think of God as a kind, benevolent God that sometimes needs to punish us because we have gone too far. And um, God needs, and we'll soon talk about why and how God punishes us. So where did this concept that people have of God being vengeful come from? So I believe it comes from Christianity. Um, Christians believe in this sense of a vengeful God, while then this second God that they believe in is then the kind one, um, and that's how they—that's why they believe in a second God. We only believe in one. Um, it is clear that in reading the Torah itself, that they have misread Scripture in seeing God as a vengeful God. In fact, they tend to translate the Hebrew words "kel kana," which is found many times in the Torah, which really means a zealous God, they translate it as a vengeful God. That's, not a, that's an inaccurate translation. It means God is zealous. Zealous meaning he takes his rules very seriously. And we're going to soon talk about what that means. Uh, but he takes his rules very seriously. They're very important. Um, but it doesn't mean vengeful in any way. Yes? That, I wasn't yes, going to bring stop. this up until you made the statement you say God doesn't have hands. Uh, you imply he doesn't have ears because he doesn't hear through them or that he doesn't have eyes because he doesn't see. And then you go and say God has made us in his image. Those two statements seem incongruous to me. Very good question. It is the subject of another class. <laughs> I was so Excellent. eloquent. Excellent question. How, what does it mean? How could God have made us in his image if he has no image and form? That is an excellent question, but we will get to that. I'm going to do a class on that and one on metaphors. Yes.
Sometimes the questions are better than the answers. But we will get to that. We will get to that. Unfortunately, our sages say in the Talmud, is a little off topic, but our sages say in the Talmud that words of Torah, and I think this is true for just about every subject, are poor in some places and rich in other places. And what they mean by that is you cannot cover every topic every time. Because if every time you cover every topic, you get off topic and you lose the train of that particular explanation. And so it's really important when studying and it's a skill to learn to try to, when we raise other important issues that are not directly related, to compartmentalize, put them aside, pocket them, and we'll get back to them. It's a hard thing to do, but it's an important skill to learn. So why does God punish us? So God clearly does punish us. He is not vengeful. He's not just angry at us and getting back at us. We should not think of him that. In fact, God is slow to anger, gives us many, many chances, and only punishes us when absolutely necessary. But why? Why does God punish us? So on a simplest level, it is a deterrence. And that's the way it is implied in the Torah. God is deterring us. He says the same reason why we punish people um, for doing bad in our society. It serves as a deterrence. It's a way of saying, don't do this, because if you do this, there will be a consequence. And it is a very simple, easy way to get people to do the right thing. And so God rewards us and punishes us to serve as an incentive to do the right thing and a deterrence from doing the wrong thing. And while God creates such... um, uh, God creates an incentive and a deterrence with reward and punishment, we should not serve Him, we should not follow His commandments solely because of reward and punishment. The Maimonides says that is the way of somebody who's just starting. That's a childish way to connect to God, to follow God's commandments. If you do things just because you'll be rewarded, you're not really doing it because of the value in the thing itself or because you care for God. You're doing it for the reward. You're not doing things because you're afraid of being punished. Well, firstly, it's a very negative way to live life. But it also, you're not going to firstly do a very good job. You'll only do as much as you need to not to be punished. And it's not a very good way. It's not a very good way to follow God's commandments. You're not doing it because you really believe that it's wrong and because God says it's wrong or because you're afraid of being punished. The Maimonides puts it as this is a childish way to follow God's commandments. In ethics of our fathers, we say it's not ideal. While God may have placed it there, it's not an ideal way to serve God. It's there just for extra encouragement or discouragement from doing bad, but it's not the real reason why we should or shouldn't be doing things. So it is there, but it's not the main reason. So on the simplest level, the reason why God rewards us for good and punishes us for gut for bad is simply as a um, to encourage us to do the right thing and deter us from doing the wrong thing. Yes, Carol. Well, sometimes bad stuff just happens. Yes. That's a very good question. Is every bad thing that happened is a result of bad actions that we did? That's a very good question. I'm going to get that very soon. Today? Yes. God willing. She's going to be answered today. If, if given a chance. <laughs> Something bad happens to us if we're being punished 
Very good question. How do we know we're being punished? Excellent question. Excellent question. Will they be punished on this earth when they're here or in the next world? That's also a very good question. Right now we're talking about punishments here in this world. We will address reward and punishment in the next world as well. That's a very good question. I'm going to get to that. So Maimonides, though, explains that there is a deeper reason for reward and punishment. It is not only that God is seeking to encourage us to do the right thing and deter us to do the wrong thing. But there is a more important reason, and that is that God gives every person a mission to fulfill here on earth. He created us for a purpose. We're here to do something, to achieve something, to accomplish something. And that mission may include many, many, many different parts to it, and largely includes following God's commandments to us, following his instructions to us, 613 commandments for Jews, there are commandments for non-Jews, but we're supposed to follow God's commandments to us and follow God's expectations of us. And then, as God's agents here on earth, God gives us the tools that we need to fulfill our mission or to fulfill the commandments that He's given us. Now, what happens is, over our lifetime, God adjusts our mission based on our performance. We have regular performance reviews. Um, we do that every year on Rosh Hashanah, regular, and really every day, irregular performance reviews. And depending on our performance, God adjusts our mission. If we're doing a really, really good job, then He gives us more things to do and uh, more opportunities to do it. If we're not doing such a good job, then He takes away some things because He doesn't trust us anymore. And so God gives us what we're supposed to, what we need, the tools to fulfill our mission based on what He expects of us. You could think of it almost like an investment banker. Investment banker starts off, the bank gives them a small amount of money to play with. Then they do a really, really good job. Their portfolio grows. They start giving him more and more and more accounts to work with. If they're not doing such a good job, then they take away accounts from them. So essentially, the better job we do, the more God gives us to work with so that we can do even more good. The worse we do, we don't do a good job, the more God takes away from us so that He doesn't waste things if we're not doing a good job anyway. So it's not only God is rewarding us to encourage us to do good and uh, punishing us to discourage us from doing bad, there is also a deeper reason here that the reward and punishment to an to a extent is also very much God simply providing us the tools for what we're supposed to do and adjusting them based on our history, based on our actions. The better we do, the more He's going to provide us because the more we can accomplish and achieve. The worse we do, the more He's going to take away from us. Well, God told us that in His Torah. 
There's another reason for reward and punishment, a deeper reason for reward and punishment. It is explained that God built our world in a way that everything that we do has an impact. God ingrained into our world that every good thing we do has a positive impact. And every bad thing we do has a negative impact. And this is true to a large extent, although not entirely, in a physical sense, where when we do good, there will, most of the time, be a direct positive impact to ourselves and those around us for the good that we've done. When we do bad, there will be a direct negative impact to ourselves and the negative that we have done. So there's essentially a direct impact from our actions that happen directly because that's the way God created our world, ingrained this into our world. In addition to the direct positive impacts that happen, think of our world as an environment. Think of our world as, we know we have, we live in an environment and everything that you do has an impact on our environment. You burn something, burn, burn a coal plant, it has an impact. It might be small, but it's going to impact our environment. Everything you do has an impact. Every good thing you do might be small, but it has an impact. The same thing also think of good and bad that we do as part of our envi- environment of good and bad. Every good thing is going to have a positive impact. Every bad thing, most of the time, not always, but most of the time will have a negative impact. Or it always does, but we won't necessarily always see it, and we'll soon talk about why. But it's even further in a spiritual sense. We believe that our reality is paralleled by other spiritual realities, non-physical realities that God built that perfectly parallel our realities. And there are many, many, many such realities that directly parallel our reality. And we call these spiritual worlds. Now, every action that we take in this world every action that we take in this world has an impact on the other realities, on the parallel realities, because the different realities interact with each other. So every action that we take in this world has, an, has a parallel impact, has an impact, direct impact on those parallel realities. Those parallel realities in turn impact ourselves. So even if an action that we do cannot be directly traced physically to a direct impact, every single action without exception that we take good or bad, has an impact on these parallel spiritual realities. Those parallel spiritual realities then in turn come back and impact our own reality in the same place and same way that we impacted them. And so when we do good, it will impact those spiritual realities which in turn will come back and impact us for good. When we do bad, it will have an impact on those parallel spiritual realities and in turn impact us for bad. So every good thing that we do has a direct good impact, whether in a physical sense 
or through these parallel spiritual realities. And every bad thing that we do has a direct negative impact, either physically or through these parallel realities. And so when we do bad and bad happens to us, it is not only that we are being punished as a deterrence that others or we don't in the future do bad. It is not only that God may be taking away some of our tools that he had given us because we're not doing a good job with them, but also we are seeing the consequences of our actions. The way God built our world that every act that we do has, makes an impact. Every act that we do makes a difference. Now, we often don't appreciate the impact of our actions, but everything's going to make a difference, and it may be immediately, it may be over time. We will see that positive actions, we will see the positive impact. Negative actions, we will see the negative impact. So that is, so it's not only a punishment as a deterrence, it's not only that God may be taking away our tools, but also it's very much a direct impact from our actions as a result of our actions, whether physically or through these parallel worlds. In addition, we believe, ultimately God still controls our world, and God is still pulling the strings and making everything happen within our world. And sometimes God sends negative things our way, not directly as a punishment for what we've done, but as a wake-up call, as a reminder to change. Unfortunately, the way humans work is, when everything is fine and we're doing well, we forget. We forget to do the right thing. It's like when someone feels healthy and well, doesn't have any pain or any problems, they don't bother to take care of their health until they get a scare. And then suddenly they wake up and remember, I've got to start eating better. I've got to start exercising. So it's a reminder. It serves as a reminder. So sometimes when we're not acting the way we should, God will send a negative experience our way to wake us up, to shake us, and remind us we shouldn't be acting the way we are. We need to change our behavior. We need to act different. We need to act better. We need to do better. So those, so those are, so God, we do believe that God punishes us for our actions and rewards us for our good actions, punishes us for our bad actions. We mentioned four different reasons or ways that God punishes us, either simply as a deterrent to discourage us from doing bad, as well as God takes, gives us the tools to fulfill our mission as we are unsuccessful with our mission. God takes tools away from us. So that sometimes feels like punishment. And every negative act God built into our world, that every negative action that we do has a direct impact, phys most often physically, but even if not physically, through parallel worlds that it impacts, that in turn impact ourselves. And finally, sometimes God can send us a scare or send us a negative experience to, as, a, as, a, as a jostle, as a shake, to remind us to change our ways, remind us that things are not okay the way they are and we need to improve.
Sometimes, though, the punishments seem very, very harsh. If you look at the Torah, some of the punishments in the Torah seem you get cut off from God, you will die for all sorts of various infractions. Punishment, for example, for Shabbos desecration. A person desecrates the Shabbos, lights a fire, for example. The Torah says the punishment is death penalty, or and the, their soul will be cut off from God. Very, very harsh punishments mentioned in the Torah for various things. Um, very, very harsh punishments. Now, and to be clear, um, when the Torah says the death penalty, it's a maximum penalty. It was really actually carried out in courts. We didn't really, we rarely carried the, out the capital punishment. Um, even then, it was almost for, always for murder, but we generally didn't. We haven't had capital punishment. was abolished in Judaism um, almost 2,000 years ago. Um, so we haven't had capital punishment since then. But there are still punishments inflicted by God. And some of those punishments appear to be very harsh, very severe. Now, yes, Debbie? Oh, I was just going to say, according to Judaism, we don't believe in capital punishment. That's a very good question. We did a class a little while back about the Jewish belief in capital punishment. Uh, we did believe, do believe in capital punishment. We haven't practiced it for close to 2,000 years, is the short answer. In ch cutting out people's eyes? No. No, 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 that's an expression. Do we believe people should pay for damage they cause? Yes. Yes, you have to pay for damage you cause, absolutely. Well, eye for an eye would be payment, right? You'd pay for it, not you lose your eye. Yeah. No, I mean, if you kill somebody... Well, if you would translate that to... to if you would translate that to murder, then that would be to pay for their life. Um, but that wouldn't necessarily be... But the capital punishment is a discussion of its own. Let, let, we'll, I'm, I'm going to leave it for... We do have a class on it. So why does God offer very, very... The punishments seem very, very harsh. And often we seem... We get the sense of a vengeful or perhaps angry God, just by seeing the extent of the punishments. In this week's Torah reading itself, it describes punishments in very, very great detail, graphic detail. They appear to be very, very harsh. And the truth is they are. They are very harsh in many ways. There are harsh punishments. Does God always meet them out fully? Definitely not. God definitely does not always meet them out fully um, because, as we said, God is slow to anger. And God is very forgiving and gives us many, many, many chances. And so the punishments mentioned in the Torah are maximum punishments. So God does not always meet them out fully. And yet, they appear to be very, very graphic and very, very harsh. Why does God offer such harsh punishments? You know, that is because we often underestimate the impact of our actions. We think it is not a big deal. We do something and it doesn't seem to matter all that much. We often underestimate the true value of a mitzvah and the true impact of every transgression. Some things feel like very, very small infractions, but they indeed could be very, very large. And this is true throughout society. There are infractions that might appear small, 
but they're much bigger than they appear. They really are. In fact, in our society over time, we've seen various things that we once thought were no big deal. We're very, very small. And now today we consider them very, very big. For example, someone drinking, someone getting behind the wheel under the influence of alcohol seems like no big deal. We drink all the time. Well, we drink from time to time. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't word that right. We drink every, everyone or most people drink from time to time a little bit. And we drive all the time. And so you sh probably shouldn't drink when you drive. But um, if you did, you got to get home somehow. And it's not that big deal. Um, until we came to the realization that a very large number of people are being killed from drink driving and drunk driving. And essentially, when you get behind the wheel, when you're drunk, you're, your car is a weapon and you don't know how to use it. You're not in a state of mind for you to use it safely. You're essentially holding a weapon when you're not in a, your right state of mind. And when we looked at it from that perspective, it is a very severe thing. And indeed, we've begun in the last two, three decades to punish accordingly, um, recognizing the severity of it. But there are many things that we tend to underestimate how severe it is. The Talmud gives an example of a fellow who, pur who purchases a seat on a boat, and he's traveling on a ferry with a large number of people sitting on the seat that he had purchased his ticket. He bought his ticket on the boat. And as they're in the middle of the ocean, he pulls out a drill and begins to drill under his seat. And the people around say, what are you doing? You drill under your seat, you're going to sink the boat, will fill with water, it will sink the boat. He says, mind your own business. This is my seat. I purchased it. I paid a full ticket for it. And I can do whatever I want with my seat. Mind your own business. And so, of course, we recognize this individual to be foolish because he might just be drilling a hole in his boat. In his, he might just be drilling a tiny hole. It's tiny. What's the big deal? But the impact is that much greater. Another story told in the Midrash to bring out this concept is of a um, fellow who um, a fellow who um, is a um, he's a beggar. He's going from house to house asking for help. He comes to a house and he asks for help. His clothing are torn. They say, "Oh, we'll get you um, some new clothing." They bring him some some old clothing that good in good condition. They bring him some clothing, and um, he says, um, I need a string to tie my clothing with. Where am I going to get a string from? Um, and they say, well, you could go up to the attic, and maybe you can find some string in the attic. He goes up to the attic, and he sees he doesn't find any string, but he does find one rope that appears to be attached. Um, and so he figures, you know what, I'll cut that little rope, and I can tie my clothing with it. And so he pulls out a knife, he cuts the rope, and then he hears a huge crash. He doesn't realize the rope was holding up the chandelier. And the whole chandelier came down. 
And so again, little piece of string, but the impact can be huge. Peer is very small, but it has a very, very big impact. The Rebbe gave an interesting example, more modern example. The Rebbe said, imagine an astronaut who is sitting on a space shuttle, spaceship, ready to take off. And he's a little nervous, sitting ready. And so he pulls out a cigarette and decides to take a little light. And his fellow astronauts say, what are you doing? He says, I'm a little nervous. I need to relax myself. What, is it? what do you care? Let me take a little smoke. They're not worried about secondhand smoke. They're worried about the blowing themselves up. But it's not just the fellow astronauts that are worried. It is the people in mission control saying, what are you doing? He says, it's a little light. What's the big deal? They say, you're not just blowing yourselves up. You're blowing up everything that all these thousands of scientists have worked on building for who knows how many years. And billions of dollars in, um, in money that has been invested in this. You're going to blow it all up. He says, no, I won't. It's just a little light. He says, I'm an engineer. I know. I learned. Uh, the little light isn't going to hurt anything. Not going to hurt anyone. But he, while he may believe that himself, he's putting himself in danger. He's putting everyone around him in danger. And he may not truly appreciate the impact of his little action. And the same is true by every mitzvah that God gave us. God gave us many, many different commandments. Some of them seem very trivial. The Talmud says, does it matter when you slaughter an animal exactly how you slaughter? Does it make a big difference? Does it matter if you mix up your milk and meat or you don't mix, you, you put it together, you put it separate? Does it really matter, these kind of stuff? Does it matter if you strike a light on the Shabbat? Does it matter? It seems like very trivial, minor stuff. Or does it matter if you say Lashon Hara, you say a bad word about somebody else? Seems very trivial. Does it really matter or you insult somebody? Does it really matter in the bigger scheme of things? And the answer is yes, it does. God says it matters. They're part of God's commandments. And we are unable to fathom the impact of our actions. We cannot fathom the impact of our actions. An example given is a cloud or maybe you could see it today with a plane, travels through the sky. And as the cloud is traveling across the sky, you see the shadow on the earth from the sun that it's blocking kind of move. But it moves very, 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 very slowly, the shadow. But as the shadow is moving slowly, that cloud is moving very, 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 very quickly. It is maybe moving hundreds of miles an hour. It's just much further up. And up there, right, you have to move much, much further to move a little bit down here on Earth. And in the same way, what appears to be a small act in this world, firstly, has impact that we don't necessarily recognize. We may be missing the bigger picture, but it's going to have a much stronger impact in parallel universes, in spiritual realities which will in turn impact us in a much, much greater way, and we cannot fathom the impact of our actions. So they may seem trivial, they may seem very small, but they are huge, 
And so while you may ask why are God's punishments so harsh for things that seem so small, the truth is that, yes, as we said, God doesn't always inflict the entire punishment. He's very merciful and gives us a lot of chances. But these punishments do match up to our actions. We simply underestimate the impact of our actions. Now, there are times, we're told, that sometimes we can indeed get suffer or be punished in a way that does not match up to our actions. And that is because sometimes God decides to leave us to fate or to stop protecting us. You see, the Torah tells us that if we ignore God, God will ignore us. You ignore God, God will ignore you. And then you have to contend with life without God's help. There are so many challenges that can come your way in life. Without God's help, you don't stand a chance. Think of how many organs in your body have to work successfully in order for you to live and for you to live a healthy life. If God leaves that up to chance, your chances of living very long are not very high. Think of how many things around you in nature have to go right for you to be able to survive. How many other people have to do the right thing to you in order for you to not be swallowed by them or by things around you? How many things have to go right? A lot of things have to go right. The only way we survive is because God is looking out for us. If God sees us looking out for us for a moment, all sorts of problems are going to begin to happen. And so God says, if you ignore me, the ultimate punishment is I just ignore you. If I ignore you, you don't stand a chance. And then all these problems will happen, not as punishments. The punishment was simply you're being ignored. Being ignored or God stopping, or at least or looking after you less, God never stops entirely, but looking after you less is going to result in many, many problems happening to you. So the punishments are severe, firstly, because, as we said, the infractions are a lot more severe than we think, but sometimes God can simply let go, and or at least partially let go, and when he does and ceases to protect us, we are in for a lot of trouble. Now, clearly, as Debbie pointed out earlier, there are exceptions to the rule of reward and punishment. Clearly, there are people who do a lot of bad and seem to have it all good. It's not common, by the way. It doesn't happen that often. In other words, a lot of bad people tend to suffer in the end. Most bad people don't end up having it good over the long term. They do over short term, it's common. But over the long term, it's not. But not always. There are horrible people who die peacefully in their bed without too much suffering. There are also good people that seem to suffer, though they haven't done anything wrong. Now, the truth is, we cannot truly see what's going on. We don't know how good people really are or how bad people really are. That's true. We also don't know how much a person is being rewarded or punished. We don't know what's really going on in someone's life. Someone can appear to have it all good, and it's not as good as it looks. And somebody can have appeared to have it bad, and it's not as bad as it appears. 
And yet, despite that, it is clear that this reward and punishment system does not always work as advertised. In other words, the way the Torah describes it, you do good, good things will happen, you do bad, bad things will happen, that clearly doesn't always work. It definitely works much of the time over the long term, not immediately. Usually if you do something bad, you don't get zapped as soon as you do things bad. If you did, it'd be too easy. If every time you stepped out of line, you got zapped, nobody would ever step out of line. It would hurt. It would hurt. Right? It'd be too easy. So, but over the long, so over the short term, it definitely doesn't happen. But over the long term, definitely those that do good, most of the time see good. Those that do bad, most of the time see bad. But it doesn't always work as advertised. Sometimes people do good and they still suffer. Sometimes people do bad and they still seem to have it all good. The truth is we don't ultimately know why it's like that. We don't understand why. We do believe ultimately God knows what he's doing. We also believe that no one ultimately escapes justice. Nobody's going to get away with it. But the rule that actions always have consequences doesn't always seem to play out. There's a reason for that. Because in theory, if every good person only had good and every bad person only had bad, our world would be a much better place, right? If every bad person, at least over the long run, failed, um, and most do, but if they always did, then our world would be a much better play thing, place. There would be a very clear incentive to do the right. So God created our world a little bit warped, where while the general system is when you do good, good things happen, and when you do bad, bad things happen, not always immediately, but over time. But it doesn't always work like that. There is, if we could use tech terms, there is a bug in the code. There is a, God created our world in a way that it doesn't always work. The way it's supposed to work, and it generally works, is when you do good, good things happen, and when you do bad, bad things happen. But it doesn't always work that way. And this our sages say term as God's presence is hidden in our world. We don't always see God's presence, so we don't always see the res direct result of our actions. So God created this bug in our world that it doesn't always work as advertised. He did this so that we, um, it shouldn't be too easy. If we saw every time people did good, Good things eventually happened. Every time people did bad, bad, bad things eventually happened. It would be really, it would be a lot easier. He wanted things to be hard for us. And so he made it work like that, that it's not always clear and obvious that those that do good end up with good and those that do bad end up with bad. And yet, while it doesn't always work out that way, we do believe that God has a reason in each individual case as well. In other words, each time someone is bad, and good things happen to them, God has a reason, which we don't necessarily fathom, we don't understand, but he does have a reason for it. Every time a good person suffers, we don't know why, we cannot understand why, but we do believe that God understands and has a purpose behind what he's doing. And why that is, we don't know, and it's beyond our comprehension, only God knows. But not to worry, because even though, even those that due to the glitch that God 
put into creation are not punished for their bad actions here in, in this world, in their current life, they will suffer in the next world. And even those who do not get rewarded in this world for their good actions will be rewarded in the next world as a direct result, direct consequence of our actions. In the next world, everything is clear-cut. You did good, you get rewarded for the good that you've done. You do, do bad, you get punished for the bad that you've done. Even then, it's not a retribution, but rather it's a direct consequence. Direct consequence of the good that you do creates good in the next world that you get to experience after death. Bad that you do creates that bad in the next world that you get to experience after death. What does that reward and punishment look like? That is really a discussion of its own. We did a class a little while back about the Jewish belief in heaven and hell and what the next world, what the reward and punishment in the next world actually look like. We don't fully comprehend it, but we have some idea of what it looks like, and that's really a subject of a different discussion. We don't have time for that today. But we do believe that, again, to summarize, that we do believe that our actions generally impact what happens to us, whether directly or through parallel worlds that then impact us. And so generally when you do good, you will see good, if not immediately, over time. If you do bad, generally you will see bad, if not immediately, but over time. But it doesn't always work that way. Because God put a glitch in creation, that the system that he created, that good breeds good and bad leads to bad, doesn't always work. Each time God has his own reasons for making it not work, but sometimes it doesn't work. But even so, we believe that everybody gets their just reward and punishment in the next world. So, a person suffers. Does that mean every time we suffer, we deserve what we're suffering for the bad that we've done? Clearly not. Because clearly there are people who suffer that don't deserve their suffering. And perhaps the clearest example would be children who suffer or die young. What could they have done to deserve it? So clearly, people suffer because, not just because of their actions, but for other reasons. We recognize this from the earliest days of Judaism, that people suffer even when they are not deserving of it. Moses asked God about it. The prophet Isaiah asked God about it. Many of the prophets address it. King David addressed it in Psalms. We have a book of Job that is focused on this question, why is it that good people suffer? And it's really, again, another subject that has to be dealt with on its own, and we have discussed it. But why God allows good people to suffer but we do believe that God has reasons that we cannot fully understand, just as we don't understand why sometimes God allows bad people to have it all good. We also cannot understand why sometimes good people suffer. But we recognize that people suffer for reasons other than punishment. Not every time you are suffering is it as, as a result of a punishment. People suffer for reasons other than punishment. It is wrong to say when you see someone suffering, that it must be because of the bad that they've done. Because it's not necessarily so. 
It is possibly because of the bad that they've done, but not necessarily because of the bad that they've done, and no one has any way of knowing. We don't know why another person is suffering, because we don't know what's in their heart. We don't know why another person is suffering. So we can, it could be because of the bad that they've done. It may be for other reasons, because it's, true, it's clear that good people suffer. Reasons that we cannot fathom that only God knows. But when faced ourselves with suffering, things go wrong. We're sick. We're in a financial home, having trouble with our marriage, having trouble finding the right one, having trouble with, um, with our children, having health problems, whatever problems we may have, having emotional problems, whatever problems we may be suffering from, we have to be aware of the possibility and strong possibility that our actions are at least a factor in our suffering. They may not be the entire reason. They may not be the reason at all. But they are likely a factor in our suffering. And therefore, not necessarily, but they are likely a factor in our suffering. And therefore, it is important that when we do go through a hard time, to, in the words of the Talmud, to look back into our actions, take stock, and say, what am I doing that I can change? What can I improve? What mitzvah have I not been careful with that I can start being careful with? What can I do better? It's like when someone gets a heart attack, God forbid. And the doctor tells them, I don't know what caused the heart attack. Anything could have caused it. But if your diet is not great, you should improve your diet. Will that guarantee you won't get a heart attack? No. But it will definitely improve your chances because it's likely that your bad diet was a factor. You don't exercise, you should start exercising. Will it guarantee you don't get another heart attack? No. Was your lack of exercise the reason for your heart attack? it was possibly an important factor. There's no way of knowing. So you should definitely improve your diet and begin to get exercise. There are other factors. Genetics, age, chance, that we have little control over. But at least those factors that we can control, that are likely contributors, we should work on. And the same is every time we bad things happen to us. Our bad actions are possibly... And even likely, if we know that there are things that we can improve on, reasons or factors, at least, in what is happening to us. Is it necessarily because of our actions? No. Is it the only factor? Not necessarily. But the other factors we may not have much control over. Our actions we do have control over. So if we go through a difficult time, is God punishing us? Maybe we have no way of knowing. Possibly. There's no way to know. But just like there's no way to know if your heart attack came from your daily, um, from your daily meat um, steaks that you're eating. We don't know. About hamburgers. We don't know. Could be. But, or your lack of exercise. But it is likely a factor. And therefore, you definitely, you should improve your actions. It's always a good thing to do. So when we go through a difficult time, we should look back and say, how can I improve? What mitzvahs can I do better? I can start putting on tefillin. I can start lighting the Shabbat candles. I can start keeping Shabbat. 
Start keeping kosher. Start changing the way I act to other people. Be careful never to say a bad word about somebody. Be careful never to insult another person. There are, give charity on a regular basis. There are various mitzvahs that we can improve on, do better on, that will hopefully improve our situation. Is it guaranteed? No. Is it, a likely, is it likely going to help? Yes. And so we should do our part to improve our situation, recognizing that, yes, when bad things happen, it is often and likely the result of our bad actions, though not necessarily so. But that is only true for ourselves. It is not true for others. We have no right to judge somebody else and say, because the bad things that you did, that's why this is happening to you. We don't know that. There's no way of knowing why someone is going through a rough time. It may be due to reasons beyond their control, reasons that we'll never understand, reasons that maybe only God knows. It may be for other reasons. So we don't know why it's happening. We don't fully understand why it's happening. It's ultimately up to only God understands why. So we, don't have the, we, don't, we should not be blaming other people for bad things that happen to them. It's all because of your bad ways. But at the same time, when struggling, when going through a bad moment for ourselves and even for others, we should incur for ourselves, we know what we've done. And so we should try to change our ways. And even for others, encourage them. We don't know why it's happening, but it definitely can't hurt if you do another mitzvah or improve on a mitzvah. It definitely can't hurt. It only can help. So it's definitely something that you should do. And so we look forward to conclude on a positive thing. I know it's somewhat of a negative topic. We look forward to a time when we reach a time of perfection. We believe in the coming of Moshiach, that we will reach a time where the world will know no more suffering and no more punishment, and we will only have good.